You are listening to the Compliance Conversations podcast by Healthicity. If you work in the healthcare industry, you know how crucial compliance is to your bottom line, your reputation, and the success of your organization as a whole. If this is your first time listening, welcome. A transcript of every Compliance Conversations episode can be found at www.healthicity.com resources, along with a ton of other thought leadership materials. You can add us to your RSS feed and iTunes, or follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Now, let's get on with the show. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Compliance Conversations. And today, we are talking with a wonderful guest, Brendan O'Neill, who is a senior consultant with Intermountain Healthcare. He works in their professional coding and reimbursement department. Uh, welcome, Brendan. Thanks, CJ. Thanks for having me. Glad to, glad to have you. Brendan's a, an expert in, in the neurosurgery coding, and I think that's a really interesting topic. And But before we kind of go there, Brendan, just take a minute and tell us um, a little bit about yourself. I see you're a JD, and that might be an interesting uh, background to explain to our listeners how you ended up doing coding and compliance. Yeah, I mean, it kind of happened on accident. I had finished up law school in Arizona, where I'm from, and I moved up to Utah to take the bar. And I kind of needed a job <laughs> to do in the meantime sure. while I was studying for and <laughs> taking the bar. So I, I had a friend who worked for Intermountain and loved it as a company. So I figured I'd, I'd apply. So I ended up applying for our professional coding and reimbursement department, um, mainly dealing with medical coding, but compliance yeah. issues as well. And I ended up passing the par and then decided to stay because I, cool. I liked the compliance side of things so much. Yeah, I think it's interesting as I transitioned my career path to medical industry, it was interesting to me how, how similar it was, because in, in the legal world as an attorney, you have this world in which you live of laws and statutes and regulations. And as an attorney, your job is to basically apply those laws and statutes and regulations to specific instances. Right. So you can determine the correct path moving forward. And the longer I've been doing this in, in the world that we, we live in, this compliance and, and coding and yes. building world, it's really the same. Because yes. we've got rules and we've got guidelines that we need to apply. And really the in and out of the day is doing the research and finding out which rules and guidelines apply and then giving correct advice for how to move forward from there. So I, I found that it's it's a great fit for me. Yeah, good. And how long have you been doing uh, this kind of uh, work? It's about two years now with Intermountain. Okay. Yeah. Well, great. Well, I'm glad that we, we have some time to talk to you. And um, so to our listeners, Brendan has some experience with neurosurgery, as I mentioned, and uh, I wanted to jump right in with kind of a, an example of where um, coding and coding edits and CPT codes and uh, how the how payers may look at those and whether they're going to pay or not pay and and Medicare and how they could potentially flex their muscle. Uh, we have a really interesting kind of topic and it has to do with laminectomies, right? That's right. So I'm going to have you kind of introduce what what that issue was, okay, or is. So pre-2015, if you were a neurosurgeon or an orthopedic spine surgeon, um, one of the procedures you do the most is a, is a lumbar fusion in the lumbar region of the spine where you fuse two um, vertebral segments together. And in order to do that fusion, you've got to perform some sort of laminectomy to get to the area you need to get to, which is a removing of the bone over the spinal cord. So before 2015, when providers would perform an inner body fusion, they would they would do a laminectomy as well. And according to the CPT guidelines at the time, um, according to the wording, in addition to the fusion, a laminectomy was included if you only did enough of a laminectomy to prepare the disc space for that okay. fusion procedure. 
But if you did a laminectomy for decompression, uh-huh. you could bill for a laminectomy code separately. And so decompression is when there's actual some pressure on the spine and the laminectomy is also serving somewhat therapeutic mm-hmm. purpose as opposed to just preparation for the fusion. Is That's that exactly right? right. Okay. And so it was very common for them to be in there because one of the main reasons for a spinal fusion surgery is stenosis, which is the, the pressure on the spinal column or the nerve root endings. So it was very common for physicians to perform the laminectomy for decompression in addition to the, the inner body fusion code. Okay. So you would see this all the time. You would see the CPT code 22633 for the fusion build in addition to the 63047 for the laminectomy. And the laminectomy was secondary to the fusion, but appropriate to build according to the CPT guidelines, because in the code itself, it says if it's done for decompression, right. bill for it separately. Okay. What happened in 2015, Medicare released a change to their NCCI policy manual. Okay. And in essence, it said that CMS payment policy no longer allows separate payment for CPT codes um, for the decompression and the inner body fusion. Ah. So in essence, they're saying now you can only bill for the, the fusion, fusion and you can no longer bill for that the decompression in addition to it. Interesting. Providers weren't happy with this. Yeah. And um, they wanted to push back. They thought that this was wrong because there is additional work that goes into doing that laminectomy in addition to the fusion. You've got to remove more bone. You've got to spend time cleaning up the nerve root endings to reduce that pressure. Okay. So the there was a physician, Dr. Rosen, who worked with the American Association of Neurological Surgeons and the Congress of Neurological Surgeons And he wrote a letter with the backing of many neurosurgeons and orthopedic spine surgeons that in essence says, CMS, we think you got this wrong. We want want you to reconsider this edit because in their letter, they explained the amount of work that goes into doing these decompression laminectomies in addition to the fusion. And they also said, CMS, we think you were influenced by this article that was published in a NAS spine line journal at NAS is the North American Spine Society. Okay. So they had actually published an incorrect article in their journal where a physician was saying, if you're doing the inner body fusion, the decompression, you're really doing the decompression as part of that and it shouldn't be built separately. Oh, interesting. The next article, they retracted that and they corrected it and they said, no, we, this was wrong. Yes. You can bill for the laminectomy separately. Okay. So Dr. Rosen actually points to that article in his letter and he says, this may have been an influence on your decision to change this edit. Interesting. But they retracted it. It was wrong. Right. So they started this appeals process in February of 2015. An appeal to change the edit. Back to the way it was. Okay. Because now, as they pointed out, physicians are not being able to be paid for this work that they're doing. Right. And there's this limbo they're in. Um, CMS, or the person responsible for the, the edits, responded the next day. They said, okay, we'll take this under consideration, and we'll let you know in November when we release the edits for next year. Gotcha. So that created a problem, though, because now you have... Yeah, what do you do in the meantime? Yeah. You've got a significant amount of time where you have physicians who are in this limbo where they think they should be able to bill for the CPT code for the decompression, uh, but CMS for the time being has said no. And that was, that was my experience during that time. And that was a good question is then how do you start, what do you advise your physicians to do? Well, and was that laminectomy half of the reimbursement? Was it a third? Was it more than half? I mean, what portion? It was probably a lot of money. It was a lot of money. The, the RVU value, the work value for the fusion itself is 27 Okay. RVUs roughly 27.75. The laminectomy portion of that is 15.37 in addition 
to the 27.75. So you're, uh, that's about half. Yeah. So that's a big cut. Yeah. On a, on a claim, I would say a dollar amount for that laminectomy alone would be around $3,000 when you send the claim out the door. And any estimates on uh, what percentage of inner body fusions had a separately reportable laminectomy? I mean, was it almost all of them? Is it like 90% of them? Or I would say it was most. Okay. I'd say a traditional, if you're a spine surgeon and you're doing this, this code a lot, the fusion right. a lot, you'd probably do the inner body fusion 80 to 100 times a year. Okay. And I'd say probably 50 to 80 of those cases, depending, so almost, yeah. would have included the laminectomy. Okay. Well. So it's, it's very, yeah. So they took um, something that was done almost all the time with a fusion and said, oh, you can't report it separately now. That's right. Okay. And, and CMS kind of has a point because there's right. this laminectomy procedure that's worth a lot of money right. when done alone. Right. And when done in combination with another procedure, they kind of have a point that maybe this shouldn't be paid. But did they increase the RVU value of the fusion when they did that? It doesn't sound like they did because it sounds like it was an edit decision, not a... Uh, something that was in the federal register for the physician fee schedule RVUs. That's to right. Change. That's right. So now you just have a, a cutoff of essentially a third right. of the amount of money in this procedure that's suddenly gone. Right. It's not made up through the RVU of the other procedure. And so in that limbo period, the question was then how do, how do you start billing then? If physicians are like, this is wrong, this will be overturned. Yes. And, and assuming that it will be, it, do they bill it in the meantime? And have it denied or something. Yeah. And then have and then try to appeal those after the fact. Or if they don't bill it and they play it safe and just follow the Medicare guidelines, now they have almost a year of reimbursement that they missed out on. Yeah. If ZMS changes their mind. Exactly. And it's a lot of reimbursement. I mean, if you're looking at, say that they do it on average once a week, you have 50 times they're doing it a year. Right. I mean, that's around 150000 a year of reimbursement for this wow. procedure alone. So you're talking a lot of money. Yep. But because it's so much money, the risk is incredibly high. Because if they are doing it incorrectly uh, for any period of time and they end up having to pay back money, now you're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars depending on how long and how many they coded. So it's high stakes. Okay. And the solution, in my opinion, the solution was to play it safe. If CMS makes a change, even if you think they may change their mind later, you follow us CMS guidelines for CMS. Right. And for other payers who still follow CPT guidelines, unless other payers have other guidance out there saying, you know, we're following CPT on this, right. continue to bill as you were for the other CPT payers. And are most of these patients, I can imagine they're older, but they might not meet, they might not all be Medicare. I mean, you might have had a lot of patients who weren't Medicare patients. Yeah. Okay. And that's a good point. And for them, you know, if Medicare wants to be more strict on their interpretation of these rules, right. but CPT hasn't said anything. Exactly. Continue to follow CPT. And that, that, would, be, that would be ethical and okay as exactly. long as CPT has the rules that they have in place. Right. So we fast forward to um, later in 2015. Mm-hmm. CMS comes out with a decision on this appeal. In November. It, <laughs> was yeah, it, did they, they actually came out a they, little earlier. Okay, no. so at least they came out early. That's good. So in September, on September 1st, they, they responded to Dr. Rosen's article for this appeal. Okay. In essence, they said that CMS does not plan to make a change to these edits. Wow. Uh, CMS continues to believe that these coding combinations are not appropriate. However, and this is the interesting part, CMS says that CMS thinks that when you might consider an alternative approach... CMS thinks that you might consider an alternative alternative approach to this issue through the CPT editorial panel. 
For example, you might consider mm. proposing an add-on code for use with the arthrodesis codes that would describe additional decompression when performed. Oh, boy. So in essence, CMS is saying, we don't want to pay you all of the RVUs right. for the the existing code right now. Yeah, they're, they're kind of hinting that... Yeah, they're saying if you, if you get CPT to create a new code, we'll assign RVUs to it, but beware, they're not going to be the 15 or 17 you said that it was. Yeah. It's probably going to be 2, 3, 5, 6 area. That's right. So okay. in a way, they're suggesting that you should be paid something for this, but we're not going to yeah. pay you what we were in the past. Yeah. So rather than just lower, now I'm going to harp on, on CMS for a second, and this is just one perspective, mm -hmm. but rather than just lower the RVUs of the existing laminectomy code, they just kind of flat out got rid of it. And now they're saying, well, resubmit and we'll see what happens. Yeah. And it's an interesting relationship that CMS has with CPT as well, right? because they're saying we're not we're not going to take any action here. Right. But if you'd like, you could propose a new code yeah. that would appropriately compensate you for, okay. <laughs> for the work done here. So that was CMS's response. So at that point, it became clear, no more billing these codes to CMS. It's right. set in stone. And that came out as a, as a published letter or it came out in NCCI? Or that was a published letter okay. from the National Correct Coding Initiative, basically saying we aren't going to change our NCCI edits. Okay. And then they released those new edits in November and nothing changed. Okay. So the, the fallout from that then created this schism when billing. And I think it's, it's important to talk about is that when you're billing to payers, they will often have different guidelines. And it makes it difficult for physicians to stay on top of things like this. Because if yes. a physician, first of all, hadn't been paying attention to these changes, they may not be aware yeah. that any of these changes happened. And they may be starting to overbill Medicare because they're no longer able to bill this code. But the other issue, too, is that now physicians have to start paying attention to who they're billing, and, and many do already. Right. But in this case specifically, if a spine surgeon hadn't been concerned with this in the past, now their billing team or their coders need to be aware that when billing Medicare, we do not bill this way anymore. And if they would like to continue to build a CPT, uh, they would inform their, you know, their coders or staff or choose it themselves to continue to bill according to CPT guidelines okay. for when, everyone else. Now, when the CCI edits came out, did it have a zero or a one? I mean, meaning... Could you bypass it with an edit, or excuse me, with a modifier? Do, does that? Yes, you you could still bypass it with a modifier. Yeah. So because, that would be another area of risk. Yeah, is that if somebody said, "Well, I'm still going to get paid for this thing, and I'm going to put the 59 modifier on there, or whatever modifier would get it bypassed," uh -huh. that would add some potential risk. It would, and the claim wouldn't be denied, and they'd be paid for the yes. claim. But if they had done it on the same inner space, exactly. it wasn't billable. And the 59 would imply that they had done it on, on a different, different inner space. Okay. So it started to create this confusion for physicians. Now they have to start billing separately to different payers. And now there's starting to be risk involved. And I think that brings up a good point about physicians needing to stay on top of these changes. And the, the, the codes we're talking about are such a high dollar value right. that the mistake, the implications for mistakes here are, are huge. If yep. a physician isn't aware of this issue now, they would want to be because we're two years out from that time. Right. And if they've been billing this to Medicare incorrectly in that time, uh, they're, they're potentially racking up the amount that they would need to pay back if an audit was performed on them. And I think another interesting thing that happened in this case as well is the following year. So a year after Medicare and CCI edits say we're not changing anything, CPT then oh. uh, joins the conversation. Okay. And in a CPT assistant article in October of 2016, okay. now a year after this change, uh, they come out, and there's a question and answer part of this um, article that they release. And one of the questions is posed to them. Sure. You have a physician doing an inner body fusion and also doing decompression. Right. 
um, the laminectomy for decompression, which right. in the past was okay in CPT. CPD came out and they said that codes, these codes cannot be reported for the same interspace. So in essence, they adopted Medicare's stance on the issue. In a CPT assistant. In a CPT assistant. So they didn't change their guideline in the, the, in the directions within the, that section of the code book? No. So now the code still looks Read that way. as if you could build separately exactly. for, for the decompression when in the CPT assistant article from CPT, they're saying you can't. Oh, you think they would clarify it in those notes if they're going to use a CPT assistant to make that stand? Yeah. And if a physician isn't aware of the CPT article. Exactly. But it, it changes the game because yes. now if CPT adopts Medicare stance, you should be billing that way for all payers at this That's point. That's a great point. Yeah. Wow. So, so now that, that, that I'm sorry, that was in 2016, October. Yeah. Okay. So now the current the current stance on this issue and the advice that I would have to physicians billing this way is now that we have CMS on stance on the issue, don't bill these two together. Right. And CPT has endorsed it, saying they're not billable for the same interspace to now bill this way for all payers. So the only time it's appropriate to have those two codes on a claim together would be if it's a different interspace. That's right. Which is probably going to be not very common. Yeah, it depends on the case, but not nearly as common as yeah. it was for them to build them together. So what I'm taking, if, I, if I'm a compliance officer and I've got neurosurgeons, I would do an audit, and it seems like it would be pretty straightforward. You could run some data analytics for the code um, 22633 or that range of codes, which yeah. represents fusions, right? Um Anytime a 63047 or laminectomy is reported. Yeah, that's right. And then check, because check, if they are reported together... The only way they would have gotten paid is with a 59 modifier, and then the documentation would have to support that it was a different inner body, an inner space. A different inner space, that's right. And, and okay. with that 59 modifier, you know, they may be getting paid, right. and so there may not look like there's an issue, but if it was for the same inner space. Exactly. It all comes down to the documentation at that point. That's kind of why I'm raising for the compliance officers out there. This would be a great audit to do. It would be a very focused audit and you'd be able to kind of pinpoint anyone who's having issues with this. Yeah, it'd be very easy to do. And and the dollar values are so high. Yeah. It's, it's worth doing. Wow. Yeah. That's fascinating. So, um, I'm sorry, go ahead. Continue with any other thoughts on this kind of story or topic. No, I, I think it just emphasizes the importance of keeping track of the, the changes. Yes. With the regulations and rules. Because if you're not, you could potentially six years out continue to build the way that yeah. you have been. Well, the thing that strikes me is that the CPT manual itself didn't change. That's right. It's the CPT assistant. And not everyone gets CPT assistant. Mm -hmm. That's an additional subscription through AMA. Um, and the CPT book itself, correct me if I'm wrong, if I'm hearing you right, would say that you're still allowed to report a laminectomy for decompression. Yeah, in essence, it says, yeah, it says that. And the only way you would know that that's not appropriate is if you read this October 16, 2016 CPT assistant. That's right. Wow, this is a great topic that we're bringing up then because a lot of people aren't going to know that unless they've read that deep into the, into the rules. Uh -huh. And it's one that physicians honestly don't like because it's such a game changer yeah. for their coding and billing, but it's such an important one because the ramifications again yeah. are huge if you continue to bill. Are you aware? And I know this is relatively recent. So um, if that CPT assistant was October of 16, uh, you said the CMS uh, letter was 
uh, September of 15? That's right. Okay, so so for CMS, it's been known for about a year and a half or so. Mm-hmm. Um, are you aware of any headlines where people have gotten hit with fines and those sorts of things for this? I know these take years. The lag is sometimes years. I haven't I haven't seen anything yet, but I wouldn't be surprised for Medicare to look at something like yeah. this as low hanging fruit. Be easy. It's I mean, I could I could run the query right now. Yeah, and it yeah, right. and there's a lot of publicly available data out there um, where we we could run this query. You know, Medicare has has published um, physician names with billing data uh, that was new a couple years ago, and um, so this would be really interesting. It's worth looking at. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. What a what a great um, issue to, to raise, Brendan. I appreciate that. Uh, in our last few minutes here, any other things that come to mind with with neurosurgery? I know it's a very specific specialty. Not you know not all you know they're kind of a prized physician, right? There's <laughs> there's not probably a lot of them. Uh, if you have one at your hospital, there might be one or two. Um, yeah. What other things would you say are kind of key issues in the neurosurgery space? If if I could ask that. Yeah, I'd say um, another big change this year was to um, codes for the inner body cage codes. When you're doing a fusion, when you do a fusion, you put in a cage. It's like a metal device, right? Yeah, to keep that inner space uh, bulked up. Right. Um, They changed the codes this year, and the wording change on the codes was a little confusing. And and in my role, I had a lot of physicians asking me about this change of codes. So the the former code was a 22851, and it was one code that represented all of the cages, cages that would be used. Okay. And the CNU code range separated it into three. Ah. Uh, 22853, which is your traditional inner body fusion cage, cage code. Okay. Use that for your traditional inner body fusions. 22854, which is used for corpectomies when done in addition to an inner body fusion. And then lastly, you have 22859, which is the, a cage you use when you're not doing a fusion. When you may be doing a spinal reconstruction without a fusion okay. or maybe a tumor removal where you took out some bone and you needed a cage in there to keep the space. So they've gotten more specific. They've gone from they've exploded from one general code for all cages to three specific, depending on the scenario. That's right. And the wording of the code was a little confusing um, because it says that it includes with integral anterior instrumentation for device anchoring when used. Okay. And physicians weren't sure if that start, if that meant that when I use anterior instrumentation, can I no longer bill for that separately? And the answer to that is the inst- anterior instrumentation is only applies if it's just to anchor the the cage into the space itself. Okay. And some cages come with device anchoring instrumentation on them. So CMS is basically saying, well, if you're using instrumentation to anchor the device. Don't bill for that separately. Okay. But traditional anterior instrumentation can and should still be billed separately. And so where does that clarification come from, what you just described? Was it in CPT Changes, which is the, the annual book that they produce when there's new codes? Or was it a CPT Assistant? Or was it some other clarification? Um, I, I don't remember exactly where we got the clarification. Okay. I think it was just looking at the text of the... Gotcha. The, the code itself and just really s- focusing on device okay. anchoring aspect of the instrumentation. Perfect. But upon a, an initial reading, it can be confusing to okay. providers who don't know. Well, Brendan, thank you so much for your time and your expertise. I know um, this is a very specialized area of coding. And we really appreciate your willingness to sit down with us and, and chat. Yeah, thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you. And, and to all our listeners, thanks for tuning in on another episode of Compliance Conversations. Until next time.